0: Kia ora and welcome to Circus podcast series, Popular Glory, Contemporary Queerness, and the Moving Image. I'm your host, Robbie Hancock, and today I'm speaking to video artist Christopher Ulutupu. With a background initially in film and theatre, over the last five years, Chris has been exploring contemporary Pacific experiences and the construction of colonial narratives through the moving image. He has exhibited regularly since then across New Zealand and overseas. Most recently, an attention tourist with Ryan Cardin at Cement Fondue in Sydney, we recently opened The Inner Lives of Islands at Tetuhi, uh, curated by yours truly. Welcome, Chris, and thanks for being on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. I've felt like I've...
1: it's been a day of planes, tra- trains, and mobiles. I don't know. What's the movie called? We're... Planes, trains, and automobiles? Oh, that's Does it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like that was my life today. So I'm so glad I'm here in Tamaki and made it here safely. It's really
0: nice to be back. We met at Massey University in Mm. Te Whanganui while we were both doing our MFAs. Do you want to talk a bit about your work prior to that, your background in film and theatre? Yeah. And also how you moved from that world into the art world. Yeah. In my undergrad, I studied um, a
1: degree at Massey and at Toi Whakaari from 2005 to 2008. And my undergrad, I completed a bachelor's degree in performance design. And that was specifically looking at performance art, I was looking at design for theatre, design for film, Um, looking at those different visual aspects. And that's what I kind of trained in. Looking back, I I do think I like kind of fell into it. Fell into theatre? Yeah, I I fell into that programme in a way that I didn't, I was a really young,
0: I didn't really know what I was doing at 18 Yeah, I remember you saying at one point You had um, difficulty in your Undergrad program where tutors asked You if you wanted to be there (laughs) (laughs) Well like I think I was more infatuated by Like
1: partying And hanging out with my new friends that I made At university and I was like I think because that's like For most people I think They get this energy where they I' so excited to leave high school and become an adult that they're like, that's what their focus is about. So I felt like, yeah, I was cruising a lot during those early years in my undergrad. And it didn't change until I had my first trip overseas. I went to Prague for the Prague Quadrennial with a group of other students from my degree and some of the tutors there. And we did a student exhibition over there. That experience of being in Europe And seeing all the art I went to see the Venice Biennale At the time as well Who was showing there? Um, I don't think I saw the New Zealand exhibition <laughs> <laughs> st- I kind of like was I, I kind of stumbled across that too I feel like a lot of these Seems like I'm just one, uh, wandering aimlessly yeah. Around the uh, planet <laughs> In some ways yes But uh-huh. um, I I think I was um, trying to look, find The Bill Viola exhibition at the time Yeah and that was real beautiful. And then I came back and I, I think something changed. Like I think I was like, oh, I'm actually quite into this thing they say they call art. Previous to that experience, I think I was like, I could
0: do anything. If someone told me something to do, i will probably do that. And you've had some like weird jobs, like yeah. most artists have. And I know just before masters, you were working at corrections. <laughs> yeah, so I think I just got to a certain point I, and
1: uh, So yeah, after that The natural progression from Toi Whakaari And Massey um, in my degree Was to go into the industry So one benefit of that program Is that they really build you up So you can go into these careers Much more easily Because you've already made some of those Relationships with professionals I worked on a feature-length film
0: Was that the orator?
1: No, that was the David Doherty case um, <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't know it Uh, and it was like this film I was mentored by um, John Harding who is this amazing director, producer and costume designer so I studied under him and he actually was a costume designer for Avatar oh cool yeah Yeah. and so he kind of like built some of those pathways for me to go into film and I I really appreciated his um, assistance and his guidance with that and then I got into this, I made some relationships with, with some great people, including Tussi Samasesi, the director for The Orator and One Thousand Ropes, which I worked upon in the art department. And so I started doing a lot more films that I really wanted to do. I was doing commercial stuff too, but I think I got to a point where I was kind of a little bit burnt out. I think when you're young, you're like, I can do everything and anything. Mm. And, and film life is tough. Film life is tough and it's long hours. You know, I think I was like, I can handle it. I can handle it. But work-life
0: balance is a real thing. So is working in the art world any better? (laughs) I don't know. The verdict's still out there, but I feel like
1: at least me on the personal level, I try to make strides to
0: at least create some parameters. I guess it's easier to do when you're in charge of your practice when you're in film and theatre, you're one cog in a larger machine Mm. and all the cogs have to work to get the project to the end. Oh,
1: definitely. And it's so immersive um, and it it sucks up your whole life. Mm. Um, And that's kind of like both the attraction and what makes you so tired (laughs) at the end (laughs) because you invest so much in those projects Mm. and you work so hard. Um, So yeah, I went off and done art direction and I worked in the art department in various roles for about four or five years then I had like my little breakdown and I kind of like lived in Polydor for a little while and I was like, hanging with my family and it was really fun it was kind of cool to at that time to re-engage with my family but I just was like it needed some separation um, and then someone was like hey you should get a job at corrections while you're waiting in between films because I was supposed to jump on to another film and I was like, you know what, I could work for three months. Um, and how long did you end leadership? up there? I ended up working there for two and a half years. <laughs> um, which was, you know, I'd, again, one just wandering aimlessly around mm. the world. So I ended up um, working at Corrections for two and a half years, working as a court liaison officer, um, just making sure reports were there and sent to the judges and <laughs> lawyers got them and... Yeah, that
0: was a really interesting role, actually. Which, interestingly, like, set you up for your current employment, which yeah. is at Arts Access Aotearoa. And what's your title there? What's your role? So my
1: role at Arts Access Aotearoa currently is um, arts and corrections advisors. So I've been working there also about two and a half years now as well. So that's what I do part-time alongside my art practice. I'm super passionate about some of the art programs there because I, I think there's a place for arts as transformative, therapeutic, and I feel like I'm really
0: interested in those spaces currently. Well, yeah, it's funny, there's weird jobs you fall into when you're an artist or a creative person and you just need, like, to pay the rent. Yeah. And how sometimes those skills can circle back or inform later things. I don't know, I think it's good to have weird jobs sometimes. Oh, definitely. Out of Masters, the first work that came out of that was titled Into the Arms of My Colonizer, which would become the first part of the romantic picturesque, the postcard trilogy. How did that work come about? I actually shot it at this place. No longer there is there,
1: but I'm so sad about that. In Lyle Bay, there was a warehouse I used to go play beach volleyball at, and obviously Wellington B Wellington, the weather's horrendous. so. There are a lot of people who loved playing beach volleyball, but didn't want to battle the, the weather to be able to. So there's a new initiative was set up. There was an indoor sand court that we could play on. And we played there regularly on the Thursday night. And I think I shot the work Ladies and Men.
0: It was kind of my first experiment of shooting people down by the river. That work was also based off the postcard yeah. so And then they were, do you want to talk about, explain what the postcard
1: references are? When I was researching in my MFA, I I found a lot of writing around some of these postcard imagery of like the early 1900s of um, Pacific tourism, including New Zealand as well. I started kind of looking more into this like research and I was starting to look at kind of artists like Yuki Kihara, I was looking at Greg Sebel as well, Um, and I was just kind of hearing some of their thoughts and things they were responding to at the time. started thinking about viewpoints and who's seeing what and in what way and who's seeing who and and I think there was a lot lot of writing surrounding those ideas around exoticization and the gaze essentially and so I started looking more into that um, area and one thing that catch me was like obviously i don't know i tried everything under the sun at mfa it was like maybe i'm a painter maybe i'm a sculptor and i was horrible at all those things so i kind of returned to form while i was there and i was like actually video. i know filmmaking i know filmmaking i know that. that yeah yeah so i thought about the camera lens being my eye and you know asking myself those questions around like if you know i'm the exoticized person if you're the exoticizer yeah yeah if I, what do I see as exotic or mm. foreign to me? And I think it was like, at that first glance, it was white people, white culture. Mm. And so I shot the ladies and men down by the river. Those were kind of the first works. I just wanted to experience,
0: you know, have a look. And even, yeah, even the, um, <clears throat> those, those two video works, what was it called, men and women? Mm. It was like ladies and men. Ladies and men. <laughs> <laughs> very gendered work chris yeah i know (laughs) but like it's also i don't know if you're like you kind of tried to similar because a lot of your work sort of just like subverts um subverts sort of expectations of brown bodies and the visual that's associated with that i know like in your later work lilia one of the things you've said is that because it's shot in the mountains, snowy yeah. mountains, and you put your family and brown bodies there. And I, I think I read somewhere you said something like, what's more exotic than, like, brown people in the snow? <laughs> and I quite like that. But then it's also with that, even in the early work, this kind of, like, cheap visual signifiers of of white beach culture or white leisure time are in there, like Ooh. the chilli bin and, like, the drinks. And I think it was a great exercise for me to
1: just, like, and like, okay, this is something I'm starting to kind of mm. unpack and look at, and then like, and I think one of the comments actually was like, okay, so if you want to talk about brown politics or like talk about identity politics, why don't you have any brown people in your work? Mm. And I was like, well, that's a weird comment to make at the time, and but at the same time, because it was about me making something and mm. my point of view. But at the same time, I was like, yeah, what if I, you know, what does it mean to have brown bodies in the works? And that spawned, that conversation, that conversation spawned into the arms. Putting a brown body in moving imagery or any kind of video work, it's already charged. It already has a meaning. Mm -hmm. I think it's naive to think it doesn't have a meaning.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, there's also a real, like, a really drastic setting shift. From those first two works to that were made immediately before Into the Arms of My Colonizer, you did that in an indoor volleyball court where it's sand in an indoor room. So it's lit the way that you would light a studio, not in the way that you would light people in a natural environment. And so, like, when you put in brown bodies, the environment that you put them in was so divorced from anything like natural. At the time, I was also. Because I was looking at Yuki Kihara, I was looking at Greg Semu, and I was looking at
1: Neafa Wilson as well, and kind of works around like performance art and people's ideas around le bar. Mm. Uh, I started to think about islands or like the potentiality of mm. performance space within the bar. And so I kind of saw, saw that kind of like a, an island in it to itself. And so that kind of built the premise of Into the Arms. Mm. And the the sand, it was much more malleable in terms of putting things in, taking things out, and it was kind of referenced kind of like mirages or things that you think are there, but they might might not be. So I set up this whole kind of rule where I was like, okay, here's a plot of sand, and you just put anything in it, just put place the people in it, the props. <clears throat> as you see and just what's well,
0: that like composition making as yeah.
1: well and, I, and that was so much more exciting and when we were doing it so Kevin was the DOP mm. and we were both like what are we making and we were like we don't know and it's become a way of making that I still do mm. today is Absolutely. I bring all the elements there so it's all the actors all the performers all the props the lighting the sound the music all those things and I just kind of Put them into the picture and build a frame, and that's something I actually learned from art direction. Um, yeah, art I like
0: that—that's something that's that was present from the start of your art practice. That sort of you've developed since, and that sort of way of working where you sort of compose a scene and then say action and things unfold. So you kind of set the parameters for a performance to happen, rather than direct per se. No. One of the other things as I think also that's like developed and become stronger as your practice has gone on is like the importance of the people that you work with, the teams. You have always used family and friends and kind of centered them a lot more working with people who aren't necessarily trained actors or trained performers and you've started incorporating that into like the behind the scenes as well. How has that been evolving over the last few years and how has that changed the output of what you make
1: after doing it into the arms, and I shot the second work. Uh, Do you still need me for Hobie and Ali? Uh, in oh, it was twenty seventeen? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. so, Hobie, so Hobie, gonna... Hobie and
0: Ali, Hobie and Ali was um, a arts festival in Hobart, Tasmania, that shows artists run spaces exhibitions across the city and. You went in 2017 with PlayStation and showed a few works over there. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was a new work
1: and it was the second part of that trilogy. I realised at that time I wanted to work with family and friends because I guess I I get a lot of the imagery and I built a lot of these scenes prior to the shoots inside my head Mm. and... In dreams, I kind of, like, think about people and I, like, see them in s- certain situations and then I'm like, I want to shoot that. Mm. And so, at that time, I was like, that's what I started saying. And I, I think I... I had kind of just, like, met Dilahana <laughs> yeah, around that time. And she was actually writing for the show in Hobart and I saw her in, like, a field. <laughs> you know,
0: like, drinking and having having oh, wait, a do you have synesthesia like <laughs> and I was like oh that's what I want to shoot do you look at people and see movie scenes <laughs> <laughs> exactly
1: it kind of is
0: and then like sometimes it's a dream later
1: on and I'm like oh I dreamed that this happened mm. and that happens regularly and I feel like sometimes I just can't get those images out of my head so I just have to shoot it at the end. Yeah. to the frustration of some people but that's kind of how it starts and then so it's kind of like people who inspire me, I just kind of put them into the work. And then, because I've been doing it for so long now, mm-hmm. I'm working with the same people. I've really built those relationships. So when I'm like, I've got Kesmira, Kreft, who's my stills photographer, I've got Kevin Cartwright, who DOPs for me, but also Hazy, my partner, um, recently my fiance. Um, <laughs> Announcement. <laughs> announcement. Um, he shoots my work as well. He shot the new series, um, You Kid in Town. He shot the um, He work. Mm. Got Kane um, Lang, who is my sound engineer and an all time g- good guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's so lovely. And then I work with my mum, Lilia Smith. I work with my sister, Ash- Ashley mm. Ulutupu, and my sister, Fame Ulutupu, a lot. And I feel like I get a lot of discussion or inspiration and um, lots of ideas from our conversations within the process. So, yeah, I built up my little team. Yeah. And we've, like, it's just been really great recently to be like, hey, I can pay you all. Back to my old days of, like, working in in uh, film and working as a art director, I think I've always hated working in, in the way they work and I was looking for something else mm. and I didn't realise that that something else could be built up from myself yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, with, yeah. with the, my friends and family and there's just this beautiful moment I was shooting um, a work for y- uh, my show at Yana Miller's Gallery and um, I just remember everyone turned up my whole family and we're like Drove to Location And everyone was hungover Because we had the 21st The night before And we are like I'm sorry But Cold user Here at Wellington I really need to shoot this (laughs) And they were like Oh okay But we're so dead And I was like "All right, Let's just get it over And then we got to location And we like We had all the gear And we were unloading it And honestly It just like Didn't take long But people were just like you know, my brother picked up the sound gear, he plugged it in, he mm. put the boom up. My sister was like, my mum and my sister were like setting up this karaoke machine. They go, like, well, I guess that's and, they, and they were like finding their markers and they were like, oh, I found a marker. And they put, you know, and they were like, it was just almost like, so, they're so used to it mm. now.
0: That's the flip side of you building your team, is they also know how you work. Yeah. Like, you've got a trusted team of people who know how to execute what you want to do. And so that, like, yeah, that's an efficient thing also, yeah. you know. And I think what um, Kate has said to me in the past as well
1: is, like, what's great about your shoes is that they're not only fun, but it's also, like, you just never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I was like, because there's no script. <laughs> so it's like... Yeah. And then, so, like, people like my, my baby Hazzy, who is amazing... I think he must have some Capricorn in his chart maybe because he loves order, you know? He wants to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And they're like, fair enough, you know, like, but I don't know, the surprise for me is part of it. It's like the part of the experience. I'm like, okay. oh, and we've got a burning car. <laughs> and <Anyone's>
0: like, <laughs> like, what?
1: How are you going to do that? Or like, yep. we've got a helicopter. I don't know, it's so we got a horse. We've got a horse. Yeah. And they're like, what, how, what, when? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think that speaks to the absurdity of like that whole experience and I think there's beauty in that as well Mm. Um, because I I feel like it's about challenging some of those assumptions because people make these assumptions about you being brown and what you're limited to Mm. in terms of experiencing or have resource to and I think I love surprising people with like how did he get a helicopter how did he fly to and I think those kind of markers are really kind of part of the practice
0: and like the video itself is Mm. almost a recording of some of those (laughs) moments well I think also like some of the assumptions that people make about brown people is that they're not worldly that they don't have like viewpoints and understanding and opinions and interpretation of what happens sort of beyond your own borders and to sort of make your own to to have your own take on something that is like an original perspective, I think, goes against some of the expectations that people have.
1: Definitely. Or like, even just happened before with the taxi driver. I was like, hey, can you drive me off to K Road? <laughs> and I was like, I think down past um at the end of Hobson Street. And then I was like, look, I just need to get to my meeting. And he was like, oh, okay, get on. And I was like, all right, all right, I hopped in. And then, like, I rang Elizabeth and I
0: was telling you the good news and
1: I was like oh my god blah, blah, blah. and he was like oh some good news and I was like oh yeah I'm an artist and then he was financial, like, oh.
0: financial good news for fin- those of you listening yeah. yes he was like oh, oh okay you're an artist oh that's
1: mm. you know and I think that your, surprised like, your status changed in that yeah, yeah, the status changed and I was like I'm very aware of it and, I'm, and that happens so often and it but I guess it is a form of microaggression, but I think
0: at the same time, I don't know, I want to be playful with it a little bit. I yeah. feel like that's so much about what your work is about. Expectation, that kind of like bait and switch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess one of the main prompts for having this podcast um, is to discuss queerness in relation to your work. Mm. Which I feel like isn't a conversation that's been had at least publicly, yeah. Yet um, you, as like a queer man, and the work that you make, but I feel like there, I, I feel like there are recurring elements in your work that speak to a certain kind of like queer sensibility, yeah. and you know, if you want to speak to some other kinds of like stereotypes and expectations, you have like a really strong relationship with like pop music and pop culture. Yeah. there's a recurring theme of the strong female lead or like the diva character as well. Do you see those elements as being informed by a queer experience? Totally. And I think it's
1: because I'm queer that I'm so obsessed with divas and like the female protagonist because I think when as a kid, part of, you know, escaping reality. Um, <laughs> I would like dream up this fictional character. Her name was Lulu and she was like
0: this beautiful singer mm-hmm. and you know that hence why I wrote the script. And that was and that was the title of your work at Enjoy yeah. um, Dreaming of Lulu yeah. in 2018? Mm. 19? 2019 I think 2019, I think it was. yeah. Um, fact check that. I, I feel like that was also one of the works where you like veered quite head on into like camp in a way that your previous works hadn't done before, you basically like made this really funny music video yeah
1: yeah <laughs>
0: and i and I've enjoyed making it so
1: much. I think when growing up, well, especially within my community my my family, like Simon community, I felt like in Potdor and in Nelson, I knew I was different and mm-hmm. i in in that way from that community because I was so outside. I didn't want a wife. I do not want a white picket fence. I didn't want those things. And everyone was telling me I should have those things. And I was like, I don't want that. I want to hang out with Lulu. And <laughs> She's raging. You know, like, I feel like... <laughs> you automatically are put in that point. And so whatever you do, you know... How you act and how you behave...
0: Is always in relation to queerness. And it's just a, a, another lens in which... Mm. It's also being brown and queer you experience the world with a with difference you experience the world knowing you're different from the world and then you come home and the queerness means you feel you know you're you experience that with a point of difference
1: definitely and so when you're already a point of difference you've got different rules and you've got different rules it's like a, a double alienation yeah totally and I understandably I think society tells them it's a it's a deficit and um, people make work about how that is dangerous, how they navigate the world, and how um, you know they work out some of those problems and issues. But for me, I also find it kind of exciting because I'm like that difference means that I can see different things and experience different things, and I think that's why I have all these different communities. I think I think you know, like the Samoan my family community, and I've got the queer community which I'm now part of which has been an amazing journey in itself because you
0: do have a lot of straight friends oh I do have a lot of straight friends probably more straight friends than like (laughs) most gay people I know this is my Pisces (laughs) they're just like oh who are you what what do you want the third work in the romantic picturesque trilogy Lilia was inspired by that infamous fashion shoot with Jerry Hall where in the 70s they got snowed in in the Andes Mountains during a shoot for these like fur coats or whatever and they got locked in all they had was like coke and fur coats and they just made the shoot happen and it was like a drug-fueled thing and they got like shipped out by helicopters or whatever. Yeah. Like I feel like that's a super like gay reference <laughs> to kind of like explore something with it's, it's, it's that sort of um, idea of you know I don't know is it camp is it just sort of referential is camp like even a thing anymore but um do you think do you think like queerness and sexuality as 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 an aesthetic as an experience as a lens i guess do you think that's something you work through in your work definitely and i think from the get-go into the
1: arms especially i was like oh well i I just want Muscle Man, and I put a <laughs> ad out. Also a recurring thing. <laughs> I put an like I put an ad out for Muscle Man, and honestly, I got so many hits. I had to like audition, um, <laughs> and I think like there's something. There's this queer to play there that I really love. Um just being like, mm, cute muscles, but need more oil, you know? Like, and I think it's it's campy, it's light. And I think that that is also a valid experience in terms of like inside the realm of making Mm. and I like under it all there are painful things and I I think that those should also be discussed and like figured out in terms of like isolation and um, in terms of my practice you know the idea of being different and like knowing you're different from such Mm. a young age and then Being outside, there is certain isolation, but at the same time, I feel like, especially when the making of it into the arms, I just was like, oh, this, yeah,
0: this, this gay. This gay. (laughs) There's some gay shit. There's some gay shit. You know, I've been thinking about similar things a lot recently. I think in the last, in the last podcast I did with Nehana and Dan, we talked about sort of this fatigue that we have about, like, queer trauma and, like, queer trauma porn, I guess, of... You know, this kind of constant mining and revisiting of, of queer trauma. Which is a fair thing to do. But I think on the flip side of that, I don't think we understand lightness and joy to have the same kind of depths as like pain or negative emotions. I, we kind of think of things that are joyful as being flippant. Which I don't think is the case. I think yeah. you can have a lot of richness from feelings of lightness and joy. Yeah. And I, I think it's uh, Something that
1: I think my mum Is really good at Because she's a Gemini as well <laughs> uh, Surround yourself with Gemini's Yeah I surround myself with Gemini's But she's just kind of like The best type of protest Is ma- make yourself Look like you're having A great time Also that's because spite <laughs> is a great <laughs> <huh>? Yes <laughs> And I feel like There's a little bit of that It's just like The best thing you can do Is actually have a good time and you know like people hate that especially yeah, people yeah, who are yeah, trying yeah. to oppress you yeah. hate the fact that you're having a fucking awesome time
0: I mean someone recently asked me was asking for advice on like being ghosted and they're like what would you do and I was like I would just pretend that I ghosted first and then live like a really good productive happy life very publicly <laughs> <laughs> So true. And that's what mum does. So if there's a, someone that hates
1: her, hates her guts, she like mm. turns up and she's like, ha, 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 I'm having so much fun,
0: you know? And I think there's a little bit of that. There's a little yeah. bit of that sense. I s- mean, yeah. Underline. In the same way, there's, um, you can also find darkness and happiness. Yeah, that. exactly. <laughs> Last year, you were on a show called Attention Tourists at Cement Fondue in mm. Sydney, alongside Ryan Tricart and Lizzie Fitch. Uh, who have been long-time... That was this year. Was that this year? Yeah, it was in Jan. Oh. It feels like last year. Yeah, time makes fools of us all.
1: Yeah.
0: Yes. I've always thought, like, of Ryan Trey Carden and his work and collaborations as being some of the most exciting queer art and queer-moving image art around. And it's probably the first time, curatorially or exhibition-wise, that your work has been placed... That close In proximity To Mm. queerness Did that come up At all during The cement Fondue project Or Conversations around that So I was really excited About the project Because I was like A huge fan obviously It really pushed me To kind
1: of like Look at What queerness Is for me Mm. You know There are Certain Identifiers That I feel like Were in um, Ryan's work And Lizzie Fitch's work um, That kind of like referenced queerness and I really had to like look at what I was presenting uh, oh wait what are the queer mm. things around this and I and it comes back to like in a, in a similar vein like the the difference of uh, like I look at similarly to how I look at my browns lens you know like mm. the fact that I'm Samoan and I've always argued that that because I'm Samoan the work that I do is has that lens everything Mm. I do is through that lens and I feel like similar to that queerness everything I do whatever output whatever I say is through both those lenses Um, and and the and in the works the new kid in town works I think it was about like it, it was just a different type of interest I think it was like looking back about being queer and reimagining some mm. of those spaces that I occupied as a kid i
0: like, mean I, I feel I feel like thinking about it now, <clears throat> your family like you, again you use your mum your sisters mm. um, I kind of feel like they they in, in that particular work they're a stand in for you and your in your viewership and your sort of like lens and perspective. there are these like really funny ser uh, moments where you know, there's this sort of like white dude, your 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 standard buff dude in the video, the yeah. speeder, running on a treadmill in the middle of a field, and then like three brown women having a cigarette and gawking. Yeah. Um, and same with the with the with the shot where the salt bars yeah yeah and so he comes this sort of like muscled speedo dude comes along while there's these like three or four brown women lounging next to the next to the pools and he jumps in when he shows up they're all just gawking kind of thing which also the the colour in that was fantastic like that was my favourite sort of like colour palette (laughs) I think you've done these sort of beautiful pastels it was almost like a very soft um soft 70s Home and Away-esque. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah and away.
1: um,
0: but yeah, interestingly, yeah, I know, I, f- I feel like thinking about it now that work sort of like plays on that sort of brownness, gender conflation of queerness with brownness. Yeah.
1: I think of like my little self and Nelson being like a nine-year-old or eight-year-old and going to the beach or something and just being like there with my brown family and then, like, all these other white people are around around and we're like, all right, what's the vibe? You know, <laughs> like, what do we do here? Like, I don't understand, like... Uh, and I think, I don't know, And there's a sense of awkwardness, I feel like, entering some of those spaces that's similar to, like, maybe, into sometimes actually entering gallery. I don't know, mm, it's just where, mm. like, wait, am I supposed to be here? <laughs> and I think... Uh, I think that work was about that. It was, like... Infiltrating space and then subverting it mm. in some way. So, like, having in the works it was about like switching and it was kind of like reimagining. I feel was it wasn't those spaces that we frequently occupied as young, reimagining them as if they were brown spaces, and then someone, a foreigner, came in who yeah, happened yeah. to be white.
0: Well, you witnessed some, some
1: Caucasian behavior, yeah, some Caucasian behavior. <laughs> And they're always, you know, they're always wearing too little. I think. <laughs> and I think that's kind of, like, part of the funnies about it because, actually, I'm showing one of those works here, Taitai, uh, tonight, um, and the salt bath one. But there's a little, like, I just planted it like that, a little funny in there I, for a lot of people who are someone who are going to go see it tonight. It's just real funny. It's just, like throughout the piece it's like yeah 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 it plays out plays out and then there's only one word said and it's my mum's favourite word it's like gay and it's like being shit <laughs> in some water. and that's all she says that's all that mum says <sighs> just kind of like it's a kind of funny because it's like mum's favourite word and I feel like those who are someone Wars hear it and they were like wait did I just hear yeah 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 your mum swear and <laughs> then it work." and it was like yeah
0: but it I love that
1: yeah it's just like I, I just thought it'd be really funny in the show just like someone audiences
0: were like da 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 Oh, so beautiful so beautiful and they're like shit and they're like because <laughs> you, know. you've done that before you kind of played with how much you permit non someone audiences like yeah. um, I know with Lilia there are moments that are untranslated and um, I remember us having those conversations and you having that thought process of do I reveal this And that's quite interesting to like... And I I think it's just like a really lovely moment to have things in your work that's just like, oh, this is just for these viewers. This is something special you get to have that no one else gets to have. Totally.
1: And I think it's real... I think access is a really interesting thing to think about. Especially because, like, my job is working for Arts Access Aotearoa. Yeah. But I guess that's not the access I'm really talking about. I think it's more about storytelling and like viewership and viewer engagement, I think it's like, there are things that people don't have to be privy to and that's Mm. okay. And Mm. I think that's that's something if audiences really want to take further or want to understand, they can either ask a friend or go do some research. And I think that's okay. I think Mm. that's a great prompt anyway. And I feel like that with when people I've had a few galleries even ask for like, hey, can you translate some of the works? And I was like, no,
0: because
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to translate. <laughs> that's not one. I was like, that's not the purpose. I feel like people, even if you can't see it, you get a sense of what it is. Mm. Two, it's labor I don't really want to do to make it more palatable yep. in that way. And some of these stories that I'm telling, they are in within those of. Specific to certain audiences Because of trying to protect certain people
0: uh, Something that you've said about it Which I quite enjoyed Is that if um, The untranslated moments Or those moments that are in- Inaccessible for non someone people You need to find someone someone to explain it to you And so therefore You get the context yeah. Explained to you at the same time Like s- By You know Necessity—you don't get to access it and have your own interpretation, or or make an assumption about it. It has to be framed by a someone lens if you're dealing with like someone language, which I quite like.
1: That's something that I'll be kind of looking at Mm. and kind of do in certain spaces. Mm. I think that's what I'm going to do, kind of continuously. I just like reassess that because I feel like well, like I don't know. Others might disagree. I'm a very generous person, and I want to be generous with my work. Mm. But there are times where people need to be protected, and stories need to be protected in a way
0: that need and it needs like correct framing, as you Mm. said. Yeah. Speaking Um, of storytelling, (coughs) let's talk about your current show on Te Tuhi in Pakuranga. Um, What was your thoughts on working with the curator there? <laughs> oh my God. Oh
1: my God. Uh, um,
0: just kidding, I was the curator <laughs> But the, the exhibition, um, and this is from my perspective This is me giving my spiel Explored storytelling instincts from artists across the Asia-Pacific Dealing with diasporic identities And how they relate to ideas of place as well The prompt for your work in there Was revisiting an old script that you had written in 2012 yeah, 2012, when you were still kind of in the theatre film world, hmm. um, but also working at Corrections. Um, I know the project morphed and changed a few times throughout the filming process. How is that revisiting, revisiting that kind of scripted, that method of working after these years of experience kind of like being in a different world?
1: Oh yeah, totally.
0: Uh, I don't know. I think... I know know there were some difficulties there, which was interesting.
1: I feel like, you know, script writing is an art to itself, and it is an industry, and it does amazing things. It just doesn't do that many amazing things for me, Mm. which I found through going through this process, because I think it's too stifling for me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realise that at the time Now I was like oh my god I'm gonna do this script and like,
0: well it sure was funny cool. it's because you wrote the script that I you were script- stifled <laughs> by <laughs> I wrote the script that
1: I was stifled by and then I think it was just because I was like I feel like sometimes I'm the performances I sometimes look for or the engagement of the characters I am look for I, I think it's much more it's not like the focus is not trying to T- performance story Like You did me wrong And I hate you And then Like the kind of what drew... the script was Yeah It was a
0: you did me wrong Kind of story Totally And, and it's called What's the worst you could do Based off um, Rizzo's Song performance In Greece That's right And That's Where the queerness comes from Um
1: <laughs> But um But yeah And then I was trying to develop it and we workshopped some of it down in Nelson
0: and I was like... Because you initially were working with this piece to have dialogue in it. Yeah. But then we realised, we're like, we're not actors. (laughs) You're not actors. And you've been working with non-actors for a reason.
1: Yeah. Um, And I just like, I thought I'd just give it a go and like, honestly, it was so bad. And then we're like, (laughs) reading out the slides and I was like, oh... Not only is it bad, the script is problematic. And I was like, oh, I just hate it. And so we're just like, so many layers of like, it's not working. It was kind of fun to revisit anyway, though. And I think what I ended up thinking about was like actually showing the, the world. because so I think I was more interested in the world that was built. Oh, uh, yeah, script. like the
0: the sort of narrative world building that happens in storytelling. I think... After that, I just realised, I was like, I actually just want to get an essence of what this world could be. Absolutely. I think that was one of the most interesting things for me. And I think I have the privy of being able to have read the script, as well as view the final work. What's interesting for me is how much of cinematic convention is there and how much is taken out. So there's no dialogue. What's left is mostly atmosphere. What's left is kind of hints at character, hints at plot development. But mainly what's left is just kind of like these bare bones of filmic convention. There's lighting, there's composition, there's atmosphere and there's score. Yeah. And what's interesting for me to think about in that work in particular which is also some of the darkest work that I've seen you make sure is how much of storytelling convention can you have and still get across a story
1: definitely and I think
0: I worked on this project
1: earlier in the year with Moana Ete it's called All the year Above and it was a development season and we just like it was my return to theatre return uh, to theatre and I I was hired as the designer and then we were working through the process some of the writings and the development they were, they were talking about like you know the original storytellers you know Pacific people Māori people being the original storytellers and I was like oh, but there are so many different ways you can do that mm. you know it was like like it, that kind of was in the back of my mind when I was doing film and you know, I was like this script this dialogue that is one way and I'm like maybe one day I will do that, but I just, for now, it just, it feels, it doesn't suit me at the moment. Mm. It just doesn't do it for me at the moment. So I, but I love the world that it's in and I love, like, the imagery. I love the the performance, kind of, in terms of, like, the score. Uh, And I really like having these double screens because I was, like, I've always kind of created a diptychs or triptychs, and Rated they kind of, sets. yeah, and they've
0: kind of like worked together in a, in some ways, but I've never really actively treated. Oh, in this created. instance, it's definitely like they're not independent works. No, they're two. They're they're two channel single work. Definitely. So it's kind of the format you've done before, but kind of executed in. A very different way Final question Yeah And I've asked everyone this Who's been on the podcast so far Name your dream collaborator Artist or otherwise Oh, Who would you like to work with most?
1: Does it have to be an artist? No Artist or otherwise Oh I'm gonna have to say Rihanna Oh
0: absolutely That's so gay (laughs) (laughs) Would you do her music video? Oh I would love that I just want her to be in my videos To be honest Oh my god That would also be Dream collab I also can see like The weird shit you'd make Rihanna do For a shoot though Oh yeah, yeah and we'll be like, yay. So we're going to fling you off a crane. We're going to fling you off a crane. Uh, my mum's going to be with you. <laughs> my, mum's, my mum's driving the crane. Yeah, we <laughs> And my sister will just talk at you. Um, Cute. Um, super hot. I would love to see that. Yeah, me too. I would love that. Hey, thanks, Chris. And thanks for your time. All the best for tonight. For tonight's opening at Tōtai. Currently on in Tāmaki Makoto, The Inner Lives of Islands at Te Tuhi. Opening tonight is Moana Waiwai, Moana Pati at Tautai Gallery. And thanks for joining us today. You have been listening to Popular Glory, Contemporary Queerness and the Moving Image with me, Robbie Hancock. Kia ora.